Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. Here's what I'm guessing about many of you. And I said guessing, and I thought about that. That's not right. Here's what I know about you, because I know you so, so well. And because I know you so, so well, I know that there's some things that you see, and when you see it, it bothers you. Like somebody. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> like maybe, maybe right now in 85, and the guy in front of you is doing 55, maybe in a 65, maybe in a 70. Hello, y'all with me? And it's driving you nuts. And what's worse is they are in the left lane. And you, in the, in the sweet name of Jesus, want to ride by that person and explain to them that they're an idiot. That the left lane is the passing lane. It's the fast lane. Move over. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about what irritates you, because that's one of those things that irritates you. But I'm talking about something that, uh, that bothers you. It's something that bothers you. It's, it's, it's a burden. It's, it's deeper than just it bothers you. And maybe, that's, maybe it's a person. And maybe you see a person and you think, you know what, there's, there's an injustice here being done. And so what you want to do is you want to go to work on behalf of that person. And, and you want to make a difference in that person's life. Maybe it's a group of people. And you know that there's a, a group of people. And people are not treating that group of people fairly. And it really, really bothers you. It burdens you to the extent where you think to yourself, somebody needs to do something. And I'm willing to be that person. So here's the thing. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is going to sound a little bit churchy, but just follow, here, just follow me because I think it matters. What we call that, if you're a follower of Jesus, we call that a divine burden. What do y'all think? A divine burden. In other words, God is calling you to do something on His behalf. Whoa. That's why it's a divine burden. It's not about you. I mean, it's really, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's not what God wants to do for you so much as what He wants to do through you to maybe another person or maybe another group of people. And it's like you get to partner with God. How cool is that? is you get to partner with God. Now, you may think that's not a big deal. It's a very, very big deal. Let me tell you why. Because when you get to partner with God, when God calls you to something, when God gives you a burden and a calling that He places on your life, here's the cool thing, then it's His job to supply everything you need to get the job done. Where are y'all at? Like, I thought that was good. Woo! That would, isn't that awesome? <clears throat> but you know what? It's easy to forget that sometimes, isn't it? Like when you're $2.4 million in debt and you're wondering how you're going to pay the bills and, and then you struggle to pay the bills and then maybe you go for a period of time when you cannot pay the bills and you're thinking, hello, Lord, like you called me to this and literally, I'm not kidding, there's been times in my prayer life, maybe I shouldn't let y'all into how I talk to God sometimes and how we talk to each other, but I say, all right, big boy, it's up to you. You've got to take care of this. 
And I, sometimes I think he said, it's not my fault. And then I humbly say, but could you help a brother out? Because like, so here's the thing. I just want you to know, when you partner with God, when you partner with God, then God provides all of the strength, all of the power, all of the finances to back whatever it is that he's called you to. And so the sweet thing for me, even through this campaign, is I've been able to say, I looked at the management team and I said, you know what, we can't do this on our own. If God doesn't show up, it will never happen. So what I get to celebrate is not what we did, it's what God did. And it's just awesome. So when he calls you to something, he says, listen, all you need to bring to the table is you. That's it. All you need to do is bring to the table, you just need to bring you. Here's what I've learned about burdens. Here's what I've learned about burdens. The burden that you bear will often reveal the calling that you'll embrace. Let me say that one more time. The burden that you bear will often be the calling that you'll embrace. The, the thing that tends to upset you will often be the thing that drives you. It will drive you. You can't help it. It will drive you. <clears throat> it will drive you to do something for somebody else. Every single solitary time, it won't be about you. It won't be about you. It won't be about personal ambition. It won't be about personal success. It won't be about your portfolio. It won't be about you. It'll about be, it'll about, be about making a difference in the lives of people that God has given you a burden for. Y'all with me? Y'all tracking with me? See, the one thing I can look at you and say today is that you're here because we literally have a burden for you. We love you. God's crazy about you. And we have to do what we do. We have to. Because you matter. Isn't that cool? Like, don't you care? Of course you do. Of course you do. And here's what else I know. What I know is that in the beginning, you rarely know how special this thing is going to be in the end. You, you just don't know. All you know on the front end is that you just can't sit back and do nothing anymore. That's what you know. For example, Karen and I planted spring well over 25 years ago. We had no idea whatsoever. We really did not. We had no idea whatsoever that one day it would look like this. We didn't, we didn't know. i got to be honest with you, it wasn't our plan. Last year, uh, on the Saturday before Easter, Emily, my oldest daughter, was helping me with an Easter prop, and so we came up on Saturday, and so I was working through the message, and we'll make sure that we had our timing right for her to get up and uh, actually help me with the prop. And, and so we were going through that whole thing, and, and uh, so it was just an awesome time for her just to sit and reflect. And she looked at me at one point, she said, Dad, she said, did you, did you ever think in the beginning when we started spring well, did you, did really, did you ever, in your mind, did you ever think that it would turn out like this? Did you ever think that it would look like this? And, I mean, without thinking, I said, no. No. 
See, in the beginning, it had, it had, and the reason I say this is because I talk to church planners now, and they seem to be interested in lights. They, they seem to be interested in moving lights, and they, sim, sim, they, they seem to be interested in like, I don't know what you call it. I call it a fogger. <laughs> What's the technical? Is it hazer? It's a hazer. That didn't sound good. It's a hazer. I remember the first time I came in and we had the hazer on, I thought, is the place on fire? And we owed like $2 million, and I thought, man, praise the Lord, he's going to burn it to the ground. <laughs> you think I'm kidding. I didn't care. I said, burn, baby, burn. I was a little disappointed when I realized it was a hazer. Here, listen to me. We, this, this, this was just tools. These are just tools that we use. So we believe that we've been created in the image of a creator God. And so, and so what we would do is because we had a burden for spiritually thirsty people, and so because we had a burden for people like you, then we would say, what do we, what do we need to do? God, lead us to something. How do we do this in a way that would attract a group of people that won't be attracted to any other kind of church? And we were one of the very, very few in town, and people made fun of us, and they called us names, and they said that we are just putting on a show. And I said, I didn't care what they were thinking. I, I didn't care. You know why? Because you were the only thing that mattered. So how do, how, do we, how do we do a service? How do we do it? And how do we use lights? How do we use sound? How do we, how do we use all of these different things? How do we use music? How do we use drama in those early days? How do we use those things just as tools? They're just tools. They mean nothing to us. It's not about being the coolest church in town. It's about being the kind of people that care about people. We just saw a need and we said, you know what, somebody's got to do something. Maybe that could be us. I just know that in the beginning you just have no idea. You just really don't. You don't have any idea how this thing is going to turn out. That's exactly where some of you are right now at this very moment. You're bothered by something. You're, you're bothered by something and you're considering doing something about it and if that's where you are then Boy, you don't want to miss this series. Because we're looking at an Old Testament guy named, named Nehemiah. And so Nehemiah, for those of you that weren't here last week, uh, this is very important. It's, it's Bible trivia, actually. Did you know that Nehemiah was the shortest man in the Bible? Nehemiah. You know, you didn't laugh last week either. I thought you'd think about it for a week. and oh, I guess not. So Nehemiah was moved by a great burden for his people. And he just said, you know what? I, I can't sit back and do, any, do nothing anymore. I've got to do something. Let me give you the context so you'll understand the story a little bit better. So somewhere around 600 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of the Babylonians, came into Jerusalem and he just took names and kicked rear end. That's, that's just what he did. And so he came in and he destroyed the temple. And the temple was a big deal because in those days it was really important. The temple was, was like represented the presence of God. It represented the presence of God. And now, so the presence of God had been destroyed. And, and then they destroyed the, the walls. And the walls were there for physical protection, but it was more than that. For them, it was about seeing this spiritual hedge that had been built around those people and that wall had been destroyed. And, and then he took a bunch of the best of the best of the best that they had, the brightest, the smartest, the, 
those that had more potential for leadership. And he took all of these really good-looking, smart people, and he, he stole them and took them, took them away to, 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 to Babylon. And here's what, here's what he said. He said, you know what? I, I want to teach you how to be young Babylonians. And so I want you to take all the, God, all the gifts that maybe God's given you, your God's given you, and now we're going to use them for us. And life is, Israel knew it, completely changed. Completely changed. Well, about 50 years later, things changed again. Went under the Persian king, because Persia went in and they took names and they kicked rear end. I mean that in the most spiritual way. So this Persian king, King Cyrus, said, you know what? He, he looked around and he said, there's a group of people here. And, and you people were taken out of your homeland. And to be taken out of your homeland, it's, it's a bigger deal than, than maybe it is for us Persian people. And so he made a decree and he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be able to go back. If you were taken away from your homeland, I want you to be able to migrate back. And literally hundreds of thousands of Jews migrated back to Israel to start up what had been previously shut down. And, and just so you know, it didn't go very well. It didn't go very well for a long time. There was a, there was a void in leadership. And as time goes by, now King Artaxerxes sits on the throne of Persia, the Persian Empire, and he just continues to do the very same thing that his predecessor had done, and he just continues to send people home. And what you need to know is, is he, he just so happened that he, he had a man that worked for him named Nehemiah. And Nehemiah was, was a Jewish man. He was a Jewish man, and he worked, he served as a cupbearer to the king, which is a pretty big deal. But here's what you need to know about Nehemiah. Nehemiah wasn't, he wasn't a pastor. Like he wasn't a prophet. I mean, he's a cupbearer to the king. And really, when you think about that, I mean, I thought about this earlier. I didn't read it in the commentary, but I thought, you know what? His, one of his jobs, one of his primary jobs would, would be to test the wine before the king drank it. A lot of times, they would poison the wine. They would try to assassinate the king, and they would poison the wine. And so his job, <laughs> I mean, you've got to be expendable, right? Let's just take some dummy. Get him in here. Let him drink the wine. If he lives, yay. If he dies, we didn't lose much. Let's just bring in another dummy. I mean, it kind of looks like that, right? So he's not, a, he's not a pastor. He's not a leader. He's not a priest. He's not a prophet. He's not a contractor. He wasn't even verified on Angie's list. It's kind of no special talent, no special ability. A man that looks as though, honestly, he's expendable. If he dies, we'll just get somebody else in his place. And so this very ordinary guy hears about the destruction of Jerusalem. And he's just an ordinary guy. It's a place that he's never been because he was raised in captivity. He was raised in Persia. So he hears about a place, he hears about a destruction, a place that and he gets this huge burden for his people. So the first thing that he, he does, if you were here last week, you remember the first thing that he does, he just sits down and he begins to cry and to mourn and to fast and to pray for quite some time. And then finally he stood up and he said, you know what, I just can't, I just can't do this anymore. Somebody's got to do something and it might as well be me. And I, why in the world would he think about such a thing? Because that 
It's the momentum of a burden. But here's what we rarely know. What we rarely know in the beginning is just exactly how far the momentum of that burden will take us. I had no idea over 25 years ago that it would look like this. I just knew I had a burden for people. I had a burden for unchurched people. And I said, somebody's got to do something. Let's jump into the story. I'm going to take you back to Nehemiah 1 just for a second because I want to show you something that I think is important. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakali, in the month of Kislu, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and so I questioned them. Why? I have no idea. He questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And so, so Nehemiah heard about this in the month of Kishlu. Now, if you'll jump to chapter 2, this is important. If you jump to chapter 2, then here's what you're going to find in chapter 2, verse 1. That now it is the month of Nisan, Nisan, Nisim, depends on how you want to pronounce it. And you're thinking, what? Like, what does that mean? Well, best I could tell, Kishlu is somewhere between and December, our time. What I know about this month of, of Nisim is that it's about four months later. Wrap your brains around that just for a second. Those of you that, some of you are beginning to carry a burden. Wrap your brain around that just a little bit, that that it's been four months, four months for every day for four months. He, he gets up and he, and he sits and he cries and he mourns and he fasts and he prays. And he's praying for his people. He said, God, our, our, our people, they're going back home, but there's no leadership. There's a leadership void. Not that maybe he thought he was going to be the leader, but maybe he's praying, God, you need to send somebody. Something has to be done. And every day for four years, the burden of this momentum continued to grow. It's, it's, it's like a snowball rolling downhill. And he can't stand it anymore. And can I just say that this period where the burden starts and the work begins stinks. It does. It's horrible. When I look back over my life, when I look how I was raised, when I, when I look at how I lived my life for a number of years, it's easy for me to look back and to think, you know what? God, literally from the time I came into this world, before I came into this world, called me to do exactly what I'm doing. And so everything has been a part of, a part of His plan. I can go all the way back to my teenage years, even maybe when my, my father died when I was 10 years old, and to see now that maybe there was a plan. It was horrible at the time. But maybe through it all, you had a plan, a plan I couldn't understand, a plan I didn't like, a plan I rebelled against. And I'm not saying that God caused all of that. I'm just saying that God was at work using all of those things to do exactly what I'm doing today with the passion with which I do it. Because I love what I do. When I tell you I love you, you have no idea how much I love you. You matter. At least for the last year, I began to talk to Karen about this whole thing of, of, 
starting a church, and we didn't know what to call it. I, I look back now and think, where in the world? How did I even come up with this? I have no idea. I mean, it was just God. Literally, it was just God. That he began to burden my heart, and I would look around, and I would think there's a group of people that just aren't welcomed in church. They don't, they don't feel welcomed in church. And Not that the church wasn't doing all it could to try to welcome those people in, but for some reason it just felt like they were stepping back in time 100 or 150 years, and I thought something's got to be more relevant. And we said, you know what, we need to plan a church. I'm beginning to talk about care, talk with it about, uh, to Karen, and I said, let's pray about it. And she said, okay, how are we going to financially support ourselves? And I said, I don't know. I'm not kidding you. I said, well, yeah, really, I, I hadn't thought about that part. <laughs> Maybe that's why I got you. And she's a detailed person. I'm not kidding. She's a detailed person. So here, I said, well, how, listen, how, how will we know when the time is right? How will I know? And she said, when the money's there. <laughs> and I, could, well, well, I couldn't argue with her. You know what I'm saying? Like, if God wants us to do it, he'll provide the money to do it. So for at least a year, we continued to pray, and I had to be very, very careful. I wanted to make sure that she was on board with me. I trust my wife. I love her more than you could possibly imagine. I respect her. I respect her walk with Jesus. And so I wanted to make sure that we were both on the same page. I remember somewhere in that year, I remember she and I were talking one day, and she said, well, you know, God hadn't hadn't provided the money yet, and I said, well, how much faith would it take? If and I wasn't trying to be a smart aleck, I really wasn't, and I said very gently, I was walking gently when I said, when I used those words, and she said, you know what, you're right. And we started Springwell. We started not having a clue how much money would be there. We, we started spring while not having any idea if I was going to have insurance for my family. We, we started spring while not having any clue to what my first paycheck would be or if there would be a first paycheck. I mean, literally, we started spring well with no clue whatsoever. This period is a tough period to go through. So Nehemiah is asking God to direct his steps. Because it's really impossible for me to describe how tricky it would have been for the cupbearer to approach the king. For me, it was difficult. For me, honestly, it had to do a lot with, with finances. It had to do with finances. How, we gonna, how am I going to support my family? How am I going to put food on the table? How am I going to take care of my family? How, how's this going to It's a big real, it's a real deal. But this man literally was looking at life and death. It's a difficult place. And in chapter 2, he says this, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought to him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me. I love this question. Now you understood, it could mean life and death hung in the back. The look you got on your face, it ain't good. And you got to fake it till you make it. You hear me? Because this is life and death. And the king says, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? You're not sick. What's wrong with you? And then he says, this can't be anything but just sadness of heart. And he says, I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, I love this, may the king live forever. <laughs> Y'all didn't get that. Like I, I, I just thought it was funny. I thought, are you sucking up? I mean, is this a God moment? You know, I, was he scared for his life? May the king live forever. 
Why should my face not look sad when the city lies in ruins? Its gates have been destroyed by fire. And notice this question that the king asked. He's a Persian king. This is a Jewish man. He said, what do, what do you want? And if I had been in my, I said, what? Can you, can you, can you say that one more time? Because it sounded like what you said was what do you want. I don't like. Did he ask him a second or maybe a third time? He said, So, what do you want? Responds, he said, Then I prayed to the God of heaven. So, this wasn't time for like a prayer retreat. You know, in other words, Nehemiah couldn't say, Whoa, this is cool. Time out. Like, you asked what I want. So, here's the thing. Here's what I need to do. I need to, can I have Friday off? I like to have a long weekend and then I'm going to, you know, I want to find a little retreat, some little getaway place, maybe in the mountains. And I'm like, you know, maybe beside a little, a little stream, a little babbling brook. And me and Jesus can like, we can hang out. Me and God can hang out for a while. He didn't have that kind of time. He had to pray quickly. This is like sending up a text. Help! I need wisdom now. I don't have time, Lord. I mean, I'm right in front of him right now. So then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. So he goes from zero to 60 in a flash, like wide open with no breaks. It's like, wait, wait, wait. And then it's like he's running wide open with his hair on fire. It's like, here's, here's the moment. Here's the moment that he's been praying for. This is the momentum of a burden. It's in my notes, here's when preparation and opportunity meet. And you're going to see in a minute, listen, he wasn't just praying, he was thinking. He said, God, direct me. That's what he was doing for four months, every single day, with a heavy heart. God, help me to know when the time is right, when, when my preparation meets opportunity, that I'll be ready. So he said, then I answered the king, if it pleases the king, favor in his sight, and obviously he had. Obviously he had. He said, let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. And so Nehemiah, had a, he had a burden, he had a vision that he could define clearly. Most people, it's not that they lack caring. The problem is that they lack clarity. I really, you know, in the early days, people were reading leadership books and telling me about what they read, and, and they would say, well, aren't you reading all these books? And I would think, dude, are you kidding me? I just started a church. I mean, I'm running wide open every day, you know. Leaders are readers. I wanted to hit the next guy that said that to me. I wanted to say, I'm going to show you a reader. <clears throat> I'll show you a fighter. I don't know about a reader. I mean, I was doing everything I could, Leaders, you know, leaders are readers, and I was just barely trying to hang on. And they would look at me, and they would say, well, so what is it? What's God called you to do? And you know what I found? I, they wanted some kind of elaborate thing. And I said, you know, God's called me to reach. Spiritually, that's what he's called me to do. And, and they would say, what? Well, brother, can you tell me more about that? Yeah. He wants me to reach spiritually thirsty people. What do you want to know? 
And there are some church people that they don't fit in. They're kind of like me. They were, they were maybe a square peg trying to fit into a round hole. And so they don't, they don't fit. And they don't fit anywhere. And they're looking. They're longing for something. And I was one of those people. And there's nothing wrong with traditional church. Yay, traditional church. But that wasn't my thing. It wasn't, it wasn't for me. I didn't fit. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so it leaves you longing, looking for more. And then there was a huge group of people that were just like me. I was out of church for a number of years, and I had a heart for those unchurched people. And it was just that simple. It wasn't complicated. It wasn't hard. One sentence, absolute clarity. He said, send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so I can, I just want to go rebuild the wall. Do what? I, I just want to, the walls in ruins. I just want to go. I just want to go rebuild that wall. That's what. That's what I want to do. So here's my question to you: What's God specifically calling you to do? What is it? Can I let that settle just for a second? What's God calling you to? And maybe you're thinking like, Ah, this is for some other people. No, it's not. It's for you. It's for you. So I'm, I'm a brand new babe in Christ. Awesome. Not, not almost beat out of your chest when you see certain things and injustice. Maybe, maybe you called to work with. I said, it's, it's just children. Well, then you don't, you don't know spring. Children. Are they abused children? Are they illiterate children? Are they homeless children? Are they poor children? Maybe they're rich children. And you see, you, every time you see these children, your heart skips a beat and you find yourself praying for these. In the cul-de-sac, say, you know what, God, you've just given me a heart for those kids. They look like they're missing something. And I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. But Lord, you know what? If I don't know what to do. Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's your city, maybe it's, maybe it's the state, maybe it's our country, maybe it's another country. You see what I'm talking about? You've got to define it clearly. I, I want to go rebuild that wall. It's not complicated, it's not hard to understand. Maybe that's why... That's clear. That's definable, right? Are you with me? Now, maybe you don't so you'll have to sit down with some financial people and say, hey, God's leading you to have a personal conversation about Jesus with every student in your class before you graduate.
veteran organizational stuff than I am. And I With stuff, but I didn't know it was. I didn't know it was vision, you know. Yeah, then you gotta help me. How do we get organized to accomplish this goal? How do we do it? Guess what? Over the last five years or so, just getting debt free has been part of that. God's a systematic God. We live in a solar system. You know what? There were seven days this week. It's not like he said, ah, y'all didn't do so well with the seven. I'm only going to give you six next week. Verse 6, then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long is your journey going to be? I was? Me too. Because it's just not in the Bible. <laughs> this just bugged me. I really has. I've said, I can't stand up there. And he said a time. I gotta know what time was. And really, you should go out and study this. Nowhere is there a time set. Now, you want to go to chapter 5 and say, well, there was a 12 year period. Pleases the king. May I have letters from these governors of, tra of the trans Euphrates? So, guide me safe conduct, safe travels until I arrive in Judah. So, he asked for protection. In verse 8, you know what? He asked for provision. He's very, very clear. I need protection to travel and I need, I need provision to build. And then he says, and because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted me my request. Here's what I want you to know. The, the momentum of this, of this burden, it just kept building and building and building like a snowball rolling downhill. And he had four months. He had four months every day to pray and to seek God. And in that time, he's doing more. And he said, you know what? Like, hmm. So God. I'm going to need protection. Through. Are you with me? And you know what? And I'm going to need some finances. And old king, I want you to help me. It's the worst thing I do. I stink at that. His words and God directed. Now listen to me carefully. This is big. The burden that you bear 
and you will bear it. You will bear it. Some days for me, it's heavier. So that's when for me, I look at you and I think you're the most important thing. Nothing matters but you. And, And what do we have to do to reach more people just like you? To be able to look into their eyes and to say, you know what, I don't know what you've heard from the world, but I'm telling you, God's crazy about you. He's crazy about you. He loves you. And He's got a purpose for your life. You don't feel prepared? So I I surrounded myself with, with a group of people and I said, you know what, I'm not really good at this. Can you help me? We did it together. So you have no idea. You have no idea. Like last week, for me, when I'm announcing this big thing, it's, it's not me. See, I look out and I see people that I love and I go, you me with tears in their eyes. We do it. You do it together. Nothing sweeter than doing it together. So how do you make a difference? Boy, this would been great if I'd put these in points, you know. But most of the time I'm pointless. So You seek God faithfully. You want to start somewhere? Seek Him faithfully. in a sentence I made sure I was you go I thought and he goes ah, we're going to do it different because it keeps, it's kept me trusting in Him and not me. Trusting in His plan, not my plan. Then you step out and you do whatever it is that God's called you to do. And you watch God do more. There's not super. Your availability is all I'm looking for. What's God called you to? If you're not a follower of Jesus, let me ask you this question. What are you looking for?
morning to kind of open up and get things ready for the day for the guys. And uh, so I, I, I walk in and I'm miserable. I'm just miserable. Absolutely miserable. And I got. nicer car, a prettier girlfriend. I don't, I'm not asking you for anything. Only that you feel the empty. I'll follow you anywhere you lead. So what are you looking for? You're looking to be loved? You just want to be loved unconditionally? And here's what I can promise you, that God is absolutely crazy about you. And he proved it. Those aren't just words on a page. History records a man named Jesus. He was the Son of God. And the Son of God went to the cross. And on the cross, he shed his blood to pay the penalty for all of our sin. All of our sin. All of our past. All of our present. Guess what? And your future sin is included. Yeah. Your future sin. And he said, I'm crazy about you. Of Jesus, like to be. Every head is bowed, every eyes closed. have it all figured out but I know that you're awesome and I got nowhere else to go and Jesus I thank you for your willingness to shed your for a sinner like me and I believe you're alive and Tell him you love him. Just tell him. God, I, I love you and I don't even know you yet. Lord, I, I do thank you so much for your word, the power of your word, Lord. Wow, it is so amazing to me. I, I would say I've always loved your word, but Lord, it just seems like the older I get, the sweeter it gets. The more that you teach me, I read to the table. And Lord, we're grateful. We love you. It's in your sweet name that we pray.